Welcome to Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This is class number seven, the Kirtland Temple. As we follow up our class on the church, the restored church and its role in our lives, we're going to examine the keys that were given in the Kirtland Temple by three angelic visitors, Moses, Elias, and Elijah. In this class, we're going to focus on that second angel, the one we don't seem to speak much about. Why did Elias come? Why is it significant that Elias came in the Kirtland Temple? What keys did he bring and what does it have to do with us today? Okay, so our premise is truth was restored in the order of its importance. So we're looking at each layer and I've been drawing them as circles. And so the very first circle was the first vision. That was the most important piece of the restoration. The knowledge of God, who he is, what he wants, our relationship to him. Everything always comes back to here. Then came forth the Book of Mormon, which is a major source of how to connect with God. While the Book of Mormon was being translated and after it's coming forth, the, the Lord restores the priesthood, keys of the priesthood. And we talked about why we need priesthood. Priesthood connects me to God. Now, once we have a foundation of truth and priesthood keys, we restored the church. The church was restored. And I wanted last week to kind of just give you a big picture. Why do we need a church? What's the, what's the role the church plays? Sometimes we put way too much on the church. I love the latest focus has been, no, we're a home-based church supported. Because I think over the years, we've put too much on the church, and we need to take a little bit of that off. And so we were, well, what is the church? So we took a, lot, a look at the kind of the going into the future, building Zion role of the church. James, Daniel. Oh, it's because I loosened my tie. You know what? I'm going to keep it loosened and just do that. Daniel. Well, I think... Uh, you just said it. Part of the reason of the church is to support the home. Yeah. I think it's really um, helpful that you have this family unit and you have, you know, brothers and sisters and parents and children, but you also have a ward family that helps support that, that helps right. reinforce that and supplement that. And we, that's, we've seen little pieces of that all along, right? We saw patriarchal priesthood versus hierarchical priesthood. Priesthood in the home versus priesthood in the church. Priesthood in the church is the scaffolding that helps build the home. But there are things the home can't provide for itself. I can't baptize a single one of my kids without the church. And so there's a connection between the two of them. I would say um, two things come to mind. This is first and foremost that the, one of the top responsibilities of the church is to gather Israel. Mm -hmm. and Which is where we're going tonight create a structure wherein you know families can help support each other and do it in a unified way and create you know uh, give us the, the, the foundation of a society that we can build yeah so we are individual families collectively a church and that's beautiful so here's where I want to go tonight this is where it gets a little complicated it is not this linear that I kind of make it sound because after the church is organized, we got a lot of things going on, right? We've got Jackson County being built. Now, one of the major pieces that would come next, I'm actually gonna push down the road because of what I wanna push here. We could talk a great deal about missionary work next, but I wanna actually get to this circle next so that we can put missionary work and everything else in perspective. I wanna talk about the role the church plays before we send out missionaries to preach the gospel. So what I'm gonna do next is Kirtland Temple. Now I know there's a lot between the church being restored and a temple in Kirtland. But there's going to be a future circle, which is Nauvoo Temple. And I am going to separate them. Kirtland Temple is very different than Nauvoo Temple. That what did we not do in Kirtland? Endowments, ordinances, ceilings. So when we talk about restoration of temple, like you and I think about it, that's Nauvoo. And that's coming. That's down the road. 
we built Kirtland Temple for a completely different purpose. The Kirtland Temple was to restore keys in that we need in order for us to do everything else that we do. We built the temple to gain the keys to do the rest. So even though there's a couple things in between these circles, do you see why I'm going to do Kirtland Temple next? Because here's where we got the keys to do everything else. Even though we began before Kirtland Temple, but something happened in Kirtland that I need to shout from the rooftops because I don't think we fully catch the vision of Kirtland. I hear a lot of people talk about the first person that came and the third person that came. But I don't know anyone talking about the second person that came. And until we understand the second person that came to the Kirtland Temple, these two, we can't fully catch the vision. Who's the first? Okay, that's, he's zero, okay? He's zero and then three angels. I'm speaking of the angels. Who was the first of the angels? Moses was first. Moses is first. And all of you who went on a mission or came from a mission and love missionary work, boom, there's Moses. Moses brought the key to gather Israel. Third, Elijah. Elijah brought the sealing keys. Without looking, without looking. I'm looking, I'm trying to find it. I haven't found it. <laughs> but I, I appreciate sure it's Elias. It is Elias. And so what did Elias bring? Okay, you fall into a pit and no one, they won't let you out of the pit until you can explain what Elias brought. Okay, do you see my frustration? Now, I, by the time this class is over, I will hope that you will all walk away wanting to talk about number two. <laughs> 110. Let's turn to section 110. Now, when we do temples in general, we will come back to the dedicatory prayer in 109. But we're actually not going to start. Don't start in 110. We actually need to start in the Old Testament. So let me, let me explain a dilemma that families often face when mom and dad get old. Um, let me use my own family. My dad is Jetty and my mom is Tracy. Now, Jetty's gone. My dad passed away the day the earthquake, uh, right when COVID began. My mom is still around. Now, there are five living children. My sister, Kim, myself, my sister, Melissa, a brother, David, and Amber. We did lose a brother. There are five living children. Now, pros and cons about inheritances and passing your, your, your estate on. There are a couple, yeah, the government's going to take it all. There are a couple prominent ways of thinking. Now, just hypothetically, to make my point, let's suppose my dad ends his life with 300, you know, my dad's worth $300,000. Just, you'll see why I use that number in a minute. So what is the natural inheritance process when you pass away? What would my dad, what would you expect my parents to write into their will? Equal shares, Equal shares right? Equal shares. So we're going to split this up evenly. So we're going to take $30,000 and we're going to divide this by five, right? So each person would get 60000 I just realized who you are. I'm just thinking, hey, I got a couple of college students. And now I realize, welcome. I didn't mean to say not welcome, but welcome. Okay. 60,000, 60,000, 60,000, 60,000. 
Pros and cons. Okay, no fighting. No one's better. No one's perceived as being more important. Everyone is equal. Now that's usually what drives the inheritance is I don't want any fighting. We want it to be equal. But let me tell you a real negative about this is this is the end of the Jed Dunford family. There is no longer a head. No one runs the Jed Dunford family. By doing it this way, what did my parents just do? Now each person is on their own. And no one is in charge. So the dead Jed Dunford family just came to an end. So what if my parents say, I don't want that. I don't want the Jed Dunford family to come to an end. I want one person to be in charge and to keep the Jed Dunford family a unit. And I recognize that's going to come with a cost, right? So instead of dividing by five, I'm going to divide by six. And I'm going to give Kim a double portion. So Kim is going to get $100,000. And I'm going to get 50. And Melissa will get 50. And David will get 50. And Amber will get 50. Now, at first, everyone cries foul. Uh-uh. Kim's their favorite. Hold on. My mom's still here, and she's having some health issues. Who takes care of mom? That changes things. Someone is in charge of the family. And someone's going to tell, I don't have to worry about my mom's medical bills, do I? Because Kim received a double portion for that very reason. And if Amber struggles and 50,000 is lost quickly, where does Amber go for help? That's, do you see the difference? Now, which of the two did Heavenly Father choose and why? Why would Heavenly Father... Now, what's the danger with Heavenly Father choosing this one? Some people might perceive it as we're better. And that's kind of happening, isn't it? Other people might perceive it as but what's the brilliance of Heavenly Father doing that? We have a family that stays together. A family unit that stays together because someone's in charge. And what does, what's, tell me about this. It's not a favoritism. It's what? There it is. It's a responsibility. And so it's an equalization to cover the weight of the responsibility I'm giving you. So who is Heavenly Father's Kim? Now, don't say Jesus, that's Savior. That's a totally different subject, okay? Who is Heavenly Father's Kim? Who was the original Kim? Was it Adam? We, but Israel wasn't first. Abraham. Abraham is Heavenly Father's Kim. Abraham was when he came down. Now, let me give you an example. Okay? Old Testament. Genesis. Malachi. Old Testament, 4,000 years. If I were to put my finger halfway through the time period, so 4,000 years, you would expect somewhere in the middle would be the split between 2,000 and 2,000, right? Can I put my finger 
halfway through the time period. <laughs> I am holding 2,000 years and 2,000 years because the Old Testament is not the story of the 4,000 years. The Old Testament is the story of Abraham. The Old Testament is the story of Abraham. And Abraham starts in which chapter? Genesis 12. That's halfway. Now, what happened before? There's some great lessons there. But the story of the Old Testament is when Heavenly Father said, okay, we're getting too big. I need one family. I need someone to be in charge of my family. And I'm going to put you under covenant. And I'm going to give you some things I won't give other people. And I'm going to ask you to do some things I won't ask of other people. Will you do that? And Abraham swore an oath. And we call that the, the Abrahamic covenant. And when Abraham got old, Isaac stepped forward and the Lord said, will you take the covenant? Now, was Isaac the firstborn? He was not. Isaac was not the firstborn. But Isaac was the one that would do the responsibility. And then when Isaac started to get old, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob and Esau. Esau. And was Jacob oldest? Yeah. He was not. Esau was oldest. But who was going to keep the covenant? Who was going to take care of the family? And then Jacob has 12 sons. Which one stepped forward? Not the first, not the second, not the third, not the ninth, not the... 10th, but the 11th. So it really wasn't a blood thing. It was, uh, will you take care of the family? So let's, give me five, okay, maybe more. Give me 10 minutes to show you what the Abrahamic covenant is. And what the Lord said, I will give and I will ask. And you'll see that it has to do with keeping or taking care of the rest of the family. So we're going to jump to Abraham first. Abraham chapter 1. Let's start in Abraham chapter 1. What is the Abrahamic covenant? And why does it matter? Okay, let me erase Jetty and Tracy. Only figurative, not literally. All right, Abraham chapter 1. So I'm going to split this board into blessings. Here's the 100,000 responsibilities. Here's why the 100,000. I'm going to give you the resources to be able to do this. Now, I don't, I don't know that you fully realize what it means to be Abraham. So let's talk about what is he offering. What did he offer Abraham and what is he offering Abraham today? Okay, Abraham chapter 1, let's start in verse 19, is the first one. Uh, let's see. Scriptures, Pearl of Great Price, Abraham 1. All right, verse 19. You've all seen this, right? Let's, let's jump to 16. Let's do a few blessings. So you've all seen Abraham's down on the table. The priest, his dad, is going to kill him. And Jehovah comes. Verse 16. His voice was unto me, Abraham, Abraham, behold, my name is Jehovah. And I have heard thee. Again, no, uh, 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 but understand the responsibility. Abraham, you have increased access to deity. I will grant you increased access to God. I will hear you above others. And I will deliver you more abundantly. And I will take you to a strange land. Verse 18. 
I will lead you by the hand. Now, don't, <laughs> because everyone else is going to be led by Abraham's hand. So I will lead you by the hand, and I will place upon you my name and my priesthood. Abraham has a claim on priesthood blessings. So long story short, why are we building temples all over the world? Because Abraham is claiming his priesthood blessings. Abraham has claim on priesthood blessings. And one more word in verse 18. Power. I like to use these P's. I think we can come up with some P's. Name some P's that are part of the Abrahamic blessing. Number one, power. I will grant Abraham power, protection, preservation if you want, priesthood, I will grant you a place. If you are of Abraham, you have a place reserved for you. Claim on a place. And one you know we're going to get to, what's another Abrahamic promise? Posterity. I like the peas. It's beautiful. Nate. So where is originally because Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Joseph? Does it collectively go to everyone now? You just hold on. Let's get through Abraham. <laughs> As it was with Noah, so shall it be with thee. Now that's significant because there's the first rainbow. That's the edge of one rainbow. And, and why are we interested? Because we're the other edge of the rainbow, right? I am looking for preservation like Noah before a worldwide destruction. And so Abraham is promised, I will preserve you from destruction like I did in the days of Noah. You see why we're interested in the Abrahamic covenant? So Noah wasn't even in the same role as Abraham was. Like yeah. To a degree as far as the birthright. There's, no no, there's no Noah covenant. There's no Adam covenant. Now, it doesn't mean they didn't play a marvelous role, but things are different now where we have, I think, the numbers that we have. And so, Abraham, this is now the covenant I'm making. As it was with Noah, so shall it be with thee. Now, what's the very next word? But, which means we're going from one column to... The next column. So yes, I will grant you these blessings and what I ask. Here is the heart and soul of the Abrahamic covenant. And the vision of this is important to understand where we are in the world today. What does he ask of Abraham? Make my name known in all the world. That sentence, make through thy ministry, that's going to be a key word, through thy ministry, shall my, known be, my name be known. Make, I'm going to not say my, make God's name known. Now we're back to which circle? So all of these was to set something up so that the world can know who he is. You see the brilliance of what he's doing? Make my name known. Now go to chapter 2. Let's turn to Abraham 2, verse 6. But I, Abraham, and Lot, my brother's son, prayed unto the Father, and the Lord appeared unto me and said unto me, Arise. And take Lot with thee, for I have purposed to take thee out of Haran and to make of thee a minister. See that word again? So ch chapter 1, through thy ministry shall my name be known in the earth. What does he add now? I'm going to make of thee a minister to bear my name. But what does he add this time? So I need you to go where? 
I need you to go everywhere. I need you to make my name known in all the strange lands. I need you to go. If Israel thought Israel was more important than everyone else, Israel misunderstood the Abrahamic covenant, didn't they? What was the Abrahamic covenant? Make his name known in every land. So let's just see what we've covered in this room. Mexico, where have you served? New York, Arkansas, France, Argentina, Missouri. Just a little room like this has been to how many continents? And we are making his name known. Now there's another side to that. Even though I, I didn't leave Utah today, I went to a lot of strange places. <laughs> Colleges and university campuses are strange places and work environments are strange places. And what's he saying? Make my name known. Make my name known wherever you go. That's the Abrahamic covenant. That's your responsibility. Now, it's not just being a good example. That's important. It is important to show them who God is. But let's be clear. Verse 8, 9. More blessings. My name is Jehovah, and I know the end from the beginning. Therefore, my hand shall be over thee. I will make thee a great nation and bless thee above measure. Do you understand now why the above measure? Because I'm going to give you a responsibility. And what's the responsibility? Make, I will make thy name great among the, all the nations, that thou shalt be a blessing unto thy seed after thee, that in their seed they shall bear this ministry. See, we keep coming back to that word, bear the ministry. And so it's not just to go be a good example. I know a lot of us are hearing, oh, go live the gospel. Just go, and that's important. But it's more than that. Abraham's responsibility is to what? Take the blessings of the priesthood to the world. Take the priesthood and bless them with the blessings of priesthood. So do more than just be a good example. That's important. Go make my name known by living his example, but you need to bless them with the priesthood. Baptize them. Make temple ordinances known to them. Bless them, priesthood. So that, here we go. Here's the culmination of the Abrahamic covenant. Verse 11. I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And in thee, that is in thy priesthood, and in thy seed, that is thy priesthood, for I give unto a promise that this right shall continue with thee and thy seed after thee, that is to say the literal seed or the seed of the body, shall. Here is the Abrahamic covenant in one sentence. Bless families with three things. What are they? The gospel, salvation, and eternal life. Abraham was put in charge of the whole world to show them and tell them who God is everywhere they live and to offer the blessings of the priesthood so that families could have the gospel, salvation, and eternal life. That, when President Nelson says, you are part of something great, the restoration, the gathering of Israel. What is the gathering of Israel? That. That's it. Make his name known in every strange land. Bless them the priesthood so that families have the gospel, salvation, and eternal life. So, blessings responsibility. Now, let me summarize the Old Testament in two minutes. Where does the Lord put Abraham? Tell me the empires of the old world. First world empire was Egypt. 
Then Babylonia, the Assyrian, no, the uh, Syrian Persia, Greece, Rome, Assyria. Where does the Lord put Abraham? Why? He put Abraham right there so that Abraham could do what? Take the gospel to the world. He put Abraham right here. Now, what's the danger of putting Abraham right there? What if instead of influencing the world, what if Abraham was influenced by the world? Here's the Old Testament in two seconds. Every time they made the Lord's name known and influenced the world, every time they were influenced by the world, and there's the Old Testament. Every time you live up to the promise, you receive the blessings. Every time you don't, you lose them. Now, it went from Abraham to Isaac. Isaac to Jacob. Jacob to Joseph. Joseph to Ephraim. And then it stopped. It stopped going to an individual and it went to a tribe. Ephraim didn't hand it to another individual. Ephraim, as a tribe, kept it. Ephraim is in charge of Heavenly Father's children. And that hasn't and won't change. Ephraim is in charge. Then the apostasy came and Ephraim got scattered. So turn with me to section 110. Angel number two. Angel number two. We don't know him. We just know his title. We don't know who it was. But what did he bring? He brought He brought the Abrahamic covenant. He put the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in charge of the whole world. Did your hair just stand up? What happened in the Kirtland Temple is whoever that was brought the gospel of Abraham, the covenant of Abraham, the responsibility of Abraham, and bestowed it upon Joseph Smith. Not Joseph individually, right? But Joseph collectively. So as of that moment, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints becomes Abraham. And it is our responsibility to do what? Take care of his children. We are in charge of his children. We accepted the responsibility. Membership in this church assumes the responsibility of Abraham. Now, the beauty is everyone who joins the church, whether you're a literal descendant of Abraham or not, you're at least adopted in. Because everyone who joins the church inherits the blessings of Abraham. Now, most of you have received a patriarchal blessing. What's the whole reason for your patriarchal blessing? I know the reason you sought it is not the reason you got it. The reason you sought it is you wanted the Lord's help in your life, and that's fantastic. But there's one sentence that has to be included. If it's not included, you get a second blessing. My dad has two patriarchal blessings because the first time the patriarch forgot this one paragraph. So we went back in for another patriarchal blessing. His second blessing is just that one paragraph, nothing else. Your, par your paragraph, your blessing has to declare what? Meaning? 
I know it's not so much which tribe you're from, but your patriarchal blessing has to do what? Impose upon you the blessings and the responsibilities of Abraham. That's what your patriarchal blessing is. You are part of Abraham. Now, 99% of us are Ephraim. Raise your hand if you're from Ephraim. Raise your hand if you're not. That's about right. Manasseh, right? So if you're not from Ephraim, you're probably from Manasseh. Now, does, does that mean the whole church is Ephraim? No, we're starting to pull in. I think I've met someone from almost every tribe over my 30 years of teaching. But 99% of the church is Ephraim. Because why? What, church, what tribe is in charge? Now, someday we will know all the tribe's assignments. But the only tribe's assignment we know now is Ephraim's assignment. Ephraim's assignment is what? Gather Israel. Not just gather, but take care of Israel. So, do you understand the significance of what happened in the Kirtland Temple? Let me erase this. I think you've got the idea of what the Abrahamic Covenant is. And you can sense what happened in the Kirtland Temple, that we became the inheritors of the blessings, the gospel, the responsibility, the covenant of Abraham. So section 110, let's name the three angels that come. Jesus comes and accepts the house. Great. And then comes Moses. Moses says, if you're responsible for Abraham, you need to be able to what? Gather them home. You need to be able to gather them home. So this is Elias, which brings the gospel of Abraham. You, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you are in charge of all of Heavenly Father's children in every country. No matter what the political, the politics of their nation are, you are in charge of Heavenly Father's children. This church is in charge of everyone, everyone on this planet. Everyone, all those children who are being slaughtered. Everyone, we are in charge of everyone. And we need to feed them and clothe them and we need them to have food. And so Heavenly Father says, do everything that you can. And when a disaster hits, you go send aid. We are in charge of Heavenly Father's children. And we have been given the keys to gather them. And then, in a culminating, we'll take a whole week on this, but in a culminating moment, he sent Elijah. He said, not just gather them. So if my job is to bless them with, to teach, tell them who God is and provide the priesthood so that families can have eternal life. What do we need? We've got to have a power to seal families. And so now we have the power to seal families. We have the power to go gather them. And that's exactly what the church is doing. You see where we're going to go here? But hold on, let me throw one more out there. I don't know if you've caught this dilemma. But according to section 138, when Jesus died, he went to the spirit world. And he did something that had never been done before. Anyone know the doctrine of 138? There was, there was between paradise and prison, there was a gulf. Jesus did what? He opened the gates. So was there any preaching before Jesus? If we read section 138, there was no preaching. So anyone in prison stayed in prison. And there was no preaching, which is why we translated so readily, because what was the point of putting them in spirit prison or spirit paradise? What was the point of Moses sitting in paradise where he can't preach into prison? So we translated so many people in the Old Testament. Now, 
Jesus didn't really go into prison. What does section 138 say? He organized his forces. Okay. Then what did he do? He organized his forces to go into the spirit world. And then he resurrected all the righteous. Am I wrong in my doctrine? Do you read the scriptures the way I read the scriptures? Should we take a minute and read them? If I need to convince you, but Jesus organized his, his spirit world mission and then resurrected them all. Do you not see the dilemma here? He organized a spirit world mission and then emptied paradise by resurrect. What do we believe happened to every righteous person who died before Christ? They were resurrected with Christ. The scriptures are pretty clear. I can give you dozens of scriptures that talk about the resurrection of the righteous with Christ. So he organizes his mission and then guts the spirit world. Why? I have a theory. Because saving the dead was not their job. It is ours. Saving the dead was never for Peter's dispensation. So he organized it. And then pushed pause until the Latter-day Saints start coming. So now we have a challenge in our society. Some of us need to do this. And some of us need to do this. Have you ever wondered why sometimes people die and you just shake your head and say, why in the world would the Lord take that person? Have you ever wondered why certain people die unexpectedly who were, why in the world would the Lord take that person? Well, if you understand that the work of the Latter-day Saints is to save the entire world, and that includes everyone who died. We have a heavy responsibility on our shoulders. Let's read it. Section 138. Let's be clear what our responsibility. There's no translations today. No one skips out on spirit world anymore because the bridge is open and now the responsibility is to preach. And so section 138. So for that gap, roughly 2,000 years before, or 1,800 years before it was restored, there's like 4,000. That's how I read it. Do I? Am I missing something here? Am I missing something in the scriptures? He organized the mission, and then he guts the spirit world. Now, if, if, he had, if some people had stayed, wouldn't you be like, I'm not staying. I'm not staying. I'm going. The Latter-day Saints can take care of these guys. And I don't know, but still, even that, even if that's the case, it is clear that saving the dead is whose responsibility? It is part of the inheritance. It is part of this. When Abraham accepted the responsibility to save Heavenly Father's children, living and dead. Do you understand why there is a Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Do you understand the responsibility of the Church of Jesus? Now, sometimes we don't extend it that far. But let's read. Go to section 138, right there towards the end. It is the responsibility of every Latter-day Saint to do what? Verse 57. Who wants to read? Section 138, 57. Jensen. They beheld of the faithful elders of the dispensation when they depart from mortal life, continue their labors in the preaching of the gospel of repentance and redemption through the sacrifice of the only begotten Son of God among those who are in darkness and under the bondage of sin in the great world of the Spirit. So it is our responsibility to die 
and go help the work in the spirit world. Why can't I not turn that on? You guys see my remote? There we go. We were just talking about can you imagine like dying the day after? <laughs> like the day after the crash. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, is anyone here? <laughs> Where did they all go? So let me share with you one of my absolute one of my absolute favorite concepts. Neil A. Maxwell. Oh. Elder Maxwell, who is now in the spirit world doing this very thing, said, on the other side of the veil, there are perhaps 70 billion people. They need the same gospel and releases occur here to aid the Lord's work there. Now, some of us need to do this so that the families here on earth can have eternal life. And some of us need to go there so that families in the spirit world can have eternal life. Releases occur here to aid the Lord's work there. Each release of a righteous individual from this life is also a call to new labors. Those who have true hope understand this. Therefore, though we miss the departed righteous so much here, hundreds may feel their touch there. One day, those hundreds will thank the bereaved for gracefully foregoing the extended association with choice individuals here in order that they could help hundreds there. In God's ecology, talent and love are never wasted. The hopeful understand this too. That. I see it. I understand why some people are taken. And it pains me when they're taken. But the reason they're taken is because there's families that we are in charge of saving. Isn't that beautiful? I taught a student, I taught a high school student once who lost her dad just months before I taught her. We had a lot of conversations that year. And we talked about this. I shared that scripture with her and she just wept. And I said, wouldn't it be fascinating if when you take a name to the temple, your dad is the one that taught them? What if we're that connected? What if the names I take to the temple on my side were taught by my dad on that side. Wouldn't that make a cool connection between all of us? So every time I take a name to the temple, I say, you go teach him, dad. I'll do the work for him. Do you understand? We are saving Heavenly Father's children. Do you see why you get that patriarchal blessing? I am part of something incredible. I am part of Abraham saving Heavenly Father's church. Now, let me just show you a very fascinating phrase. So turn with me to 1 Nephi chapter 15. And I wonder if every prophet knew this. I don't think it was unique to Nephi. I don't think this was unique to Nephi. 
But turn with me to 1 Nephi chapter 15. When did Nephi, sorry, let me get there. When did Nephi know that the Abrahamic covenant would be fulfilled? Someone read verse 18. which covenant the Lord made to our father Abraham, saying, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. When did Nephi know that Abraham would finally take care of Heavenly Father's children? Welcome to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I know who I am and what I'm supposed to do. And I will follow Him in faith. Do you see why there's a church? Do you see why we receive the keys? Do you see why we need to talk about the second angel a little bit more? We are Abraham. And we have to save the families of the earth. So some of us do it here. And some of us do it in the spirit world. But we are doing the same work. Of that reality. I hope you will sense what it means to belong to Israel and to gather Israel, whether you do it living or dead, whether you do it spiritually or temporally, take care of Heavenly Father's children because I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining us for Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This has been class number seven. As you ponder what we talked about today in the Abrahamic covenant and the responsibility that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has today in saving Heavenly Father's children, would you discuss with someone in your inner circle the implication of that responsibility, both for the living and for the dead?